All right, everybody, welcome. This is Paul Fuller with Membrane. We're back on the art and science of complex sales, and I am here with Mornay Smith of Emerse. So welcome, Mornay. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to be on the show. Yeah, I've been really, I've been really excited about this one. And one of the things that really excites me is that you, you're one of the few people that I know that has a, a multi, you truly a multinational now uh, sales presence across the UK and the US, and mm-hmm. really working hard. But like, do you mind taking a second and introducing everybody to yourself? Sure thing. So my origin story is is uh, I'll try and keep it as a short one. I moved to. London, UK in 2001 from South Africa, where I was born and raised. During the 21 years that I lived in London, my goodness, uh, the 21 years that I was there, I reluctantly started in sales. And I mean reluctantly because I came from the world of advertising. I arrived in London two days after 9-11. And the advertising agency that had sponsored my work permit uh, told me that unfortunately it was cancelled because they had a, an office in the World Trade Center and all global, all global hiring was on freeze. So there I am in London with no money, no prospects, no place to live. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I can't go back. I've just sold everything that I own to make this happen. What do I do? And because of my visa situation, nobody would hire me, even though you know I had a, a pretty decent start to my career. So long story short, I find this tiny little IT company in a not so nice part of London. And they say, you know what? We will turn a blind eye, but... You need to cold call and sell Dell computers and Microsoft software door to door to small companies. Oh, and by the way, you know, here's your list, and they hand me the yellow pages. An actual for those of us that you know, are old in the tooth and gray in the beard enough to remember yellow pages. They hand me the yellow pages and go, "There's your list. Good luck with that." There was no training. There was no sales playbook. There was not even a CRM at the time. There was a spreadsheet, and there was the yellow pages. So that was my foray into sales. You know, I was desperate. I needed the job, so I did it. And then over the next 10 years, probably like many of the entrepreneurial listeners that you have, you know, I had to figure out sales by trial and error. I had to first figure out how to sell. And then from there, I had to figure out how to hire salespeople, how to build teams. Paul, I'm not too proud to say that I made pretty much every mistake that you can make, sometimes more than once. Amen. But um, over that 10-year period, I was lucky enough that I was dogmatic. I had a good work ethic. I had a a thirst for learning, probably based on the fact that both my parents were teachers. And I kind of started to figure it out bit by bit. So I had a few successes along the way. I became a a shareholder of of that IT company, which we sold in 2006. I then bought a 51% stake in a telecom, small telecoms business, grew that aggressively for two years, sold that in 2008, and then found my way into commercial office fit out, which I knew nothing about. You couldn't explain to me the difference between a drywall and a brick wall. But I figured, you know what, in my world, I don't really care what the product or service is. I love selling. You know, now I'm a convert. Let's try it out. So we did a Forex on that business over three years. I then got headhunted by a slightly larger version. They were about, in, in US dollar terms, about $18 million at the time. And we did a 10X on that business to $180 million in, in five years with no external funding, all organic growth. So that was a, a very quick 17 years of a roller coaster ride, but I had fallen in love with sales. Mm-hmm. So 2017, I decided to start Immerse. And really I started it with a blank sheet of paper on my coffee table and said, on my, my kitchen table and said, you know what? What is it that really kind of juices me about sales? And I thought, well, I don't really have a good answer for that. What annoys me about sales? 
oh, I know. I'm annoyed that people look down on salespeople. Oh, I'm a business development manager. I'm a customer service. But nobody would say, hey, I'm a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Sales was this like thing where, yeah, yeah, if you say you're a salesperson, it probably means that you failed at everything else and now you're telling to sell some stuff. And I was like, no, this ends now. So I had this, this big why where I wanted to, I wanted to bring excellence to the profession of sales. So I started Immerse, and, and as you kind of intimated, we're now in three different continents, seven different countries across 29 different industries. And we're just, we're having a ball. It's, uh, it's been a fun journey over the last six years. That is a brilliant, brilliant story. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And, and what, I got, what thing you said, you made every mistake in the book. I mean, both my wife and uh, just about everybody I work with will tell you that I am a mistake waiting to happen. <laughs> it's like, I just am, that's just who I am. But it, it's not the mistakes that you make, it's how you don't make them again. Uh, it's and what like, you learn, I mean, mistakes are yeah. great, great teachers. It's just, it's the best teacher I've ever had. You talk a lot about sales. So one of the things you've had, a, and you've had a hell of a journey in it, you sit down with that blank sheet of paper. When you define sales, what is what is that definition to you? Like, what what is sales to you? Essentially, what it boils down to for me is sales is the transfer of trust. And when people ask me the question, yeah, but Mona, you've been doing this for 24 years. Surely sales has evolved and changed over that time. And my answer is yes and no. No, it's not changed because 24 years ago when I started, sales was about the transfer of trust. 24 years later, it's still about the transfer of trust. If somebody doesn't buy from you, especially in the kind of sales that Membrane is great at, you know, complex B2B, oftentimes it's not about the price. It's not about the color of the thing. If they don't buy from you, it's because either you haven't established enough trust or you haven't established perceptional value. And how is it different 24 years to now? Well, you know, then we can get into technology and behaviors and, you know, buying psychology and who your target audience is and whether you used to sell to baby boomers or, you know, Generation Z and, you know, instant gratification. Like I can talk about that for hours. But at its core, sales is the transfer of trust. If you and I are going to get into a transaction, you have to believe that I am going to do what I say I'm going to do. Because the first transaction is always an emotional buyer. Why? Because we have no track record to prove that I'm going to deliver what I said I was going to deliver. It doesn't matter if I'm selling you this calculator or a complex service to revamp your sales playbook. You don't know that I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. So you have to trust me. And I've got to trust that if we're going to have a good relationship, one, you're going to show up and play your part in this relationship. And two, you're going to pay me. Otherwise, there is no sale. So for me, sales is simple. It's the transfer of trust. So when we talk about the transfer of trust, I I have a great book that's one of my absolute must reads favorites in my library, which is uh, Stephen M. R. Covey's The Speed of Trust. Mm-hmm. He talks about a couple of things there. He talks about competence and character. And then 
I've always talked about the fact that you need to be trustworthy to be trusted. Like dive mm-hmm. into that. What is trust then? I mean, what does trust mean to you? If it's a transfer of trust, what does trust mean to you? It means that we do what we say. Trust for me is, and you know, I, I was listening to a really good friend of mine and a colleague is a guy called Andy Bailey from Petra. And Andy did a little video recently on social media and he was talking about how to build trust and how to build confidence. And it starts with keeping your word to yourself. So if you if you have an intention to make your bed every morning, then do it. If you have an intention to eat well, then do it. If you have an intention to exercise so that you can enjoy health and vitality, then do it. But you have to start by keeping your word to yourself. That builds integrity and belief and confidence. Then when I show up as a salesperson, I exude that energy that I am a human of integrity because in the first instance, I keep my word to myself. Now I'm asking you to believe that I will keep my word to you. If you're not the kind of person that like James Clear would talk about in Atomic Habits, that at least can, even if things get difficult, you can change the scope of the behavior, but you keep the schedule. You keep those small promises to yourself. You build integrity. You build confidence. You build trust in your word. And then when you're selling, people will look at you and go, do you know what? I spoke to Paul and then I spoke to John and then I spoke to this guy, Monet. I feel like Paul is the right fit for me. Well, why do you feel that? I don't know. There's just something about him. And what they feel is that you are a human with integrity who keeps their word. That's what it is for me. That's brilliant. I've, I mean, we've both been in sales and hired a lot of people. And I said that I, I've defined sales a little differently. I, I, I say it's about leadership, service, and wayfinding. I pick those words really specifically because leadership is, I think, starts with, and it's helping, helping, I define it as helping somebody achieve and achieve a vision, but mm-hmm. to, to lead well, you must lead yourself well. And that is the very, very, very first thing that you, you have to do. There is no leader in a, of an organ, you know, of an organization that if you don't lead yourself well, the organization burns out, right? Absolutely. Uh, and We've seen that. So that that's self-leadership and salespeople. And I'm hearing that in terms of your t- integrity, self-integrity, self-trust. How do you, one of the things we were talking about prior to, to this that just uh, got me fired up was you said being able to keep the a salesperson is, is unique in that you, one, you have to have that integrity. And then you have to have the ability to keep that engine running, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And keep that engine running, and keep that engine running. So you need that consistency, and you need you need ways to be able to do that. Do you have any? You do this well. So you have any tips and tricks for the 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 individual that's listening to this and thinking that sounds really freaking hard. <laughs> do you know what? I, I we were telling about this before, and I said to you, do you know what? I should I should pull my beautiful wife Eleonora in on the on the podcast because she's an expert on this. And what I've learned in in being with her is that you can't pull from an empty cup. A lot of salespeople that are listening to this today, you might be selling virtually and you might find yourself spending more hours on video calls than you've ever done in your life because that is a thing post-COVID. Or you might find that you're back out on the road again. And you know, I've been on the road. My, my first few selling jobs, in fact, my very first one, 
that IT company I talked about, I would be cold calling from 8 a.m. to 12 or from the yellow pages. And then if I was lucky enough to get some appointments, then I would go to accounts and they would hand me a little plastic bag with pound coins in it, you know, the old pound coins in London. And then I would get in this boat of a car, an old Rover 75 that don't even exist anymore. And I would have a MacBook pinned to the steering wheel with my thumbs because back in 2001, there was no iPhones and GPS. <laughs> GPS yeah. And I would be driving around London and hoping that if I turn the next turn, that I wouldn't drive off the page of the map because then I'd have to turn the page and not try and crash into someone. <laughs> but I tell that story because during those years, my diet and my habits were diabolical. Like I'd have to get up every morning at 7 a.m. We'd have a sales meeting so we could start calling at 8. I'd be on the road all day. So my lunch was a, a cellophane wrapped sandwich and a, and a soda, right? Just to keep my energy up. And then I'd be back at the office after my sales appointments at 4.35. And then I'd have to like update the spreadsheets with all the, the notes from the day. And then by the time I got home, I was exhausted. I didn't see the inside of a gym for three years. And if I show you pictures of me back then, I was bloated and I was... I had low energy and how I still managed to sell a little bit is beyond me because I was showing up to these meetings, looking and feeling ill and having to put on a persona to convince this, this prospect that somehow I was worthy of them buying from me. And when things turned around for me years later, when I started like building these companies and exiting them, part of the reason I had that success is because I had made the decision to invest in me. You know, I was like, well, hold on. What if I invested in my own health? What if I invested in my mind? What if I did like an operating system upgrade for my brain and just, I don't know, go to a personal development course? Like, I like to read, but sometimes these books are, are hard. You know, this is before we had podcasts and all this stuff. So I would buy CDs and then have them in my car and listen to them. And, and I was kind of embarrassed about it. I didn't want to tell any of my friends that I was doing it, but slowly, little by little, because I changed the environment that I was in and I started thinking about not just the food that I put in my body, but what was the information that I put in my head. I secretly started developing these habits because I got myself a life coach and I didn't tell anyone. And then I would have sessions at night and I would go, wow, this is amazing. But I was embarrassed to tell anyone because back in like 2007 and eight, it wasn't like it is now where everyone's a guru and everyone's a coach and there's podcasts, you know, up to gazoo. And I slowly started to change my habits. And that's why I love James Clear Atomic Habits, because he now talks about the codification of habits and how habits are the leading indicators of the success that we want, right? But that's what I slowly started to do. And even little things like if I had a pitch in the afternoon, I wouldn't go out and have like a massive lasagna for lunch because I knew that the carbohydrate crash was coming. And you try and sit in front of a client, trying to convince him to spend a thousand or a hundred thousand pounds with you when you're like this and you're basically falling asleep. So I started to pay attention to patterns. If I eat this, how do I feel? If I do a little bit of training, how do I feel? If I actually get a good night's sleep, how do I feel? And little by little, I started to change my habits. And you know what? I can't tell you that there was one day where it all changed. It was little building blocks because there's a, there's a, my wife has got this great saying when she coaches her clients. She goes, you didn't get sick all at once. So why do you think you're going to get healthy all at once? Right? It took time for you to get overweight or lose your energy or get unhealthy. 
it's going to take time for you to get back. You have to get healthy the same way that you got sick. So for me, the way that I look after the vehicle is I've got some good routines. I want to meditate, but I'm bad at it. <laughs> My head is just... So what I do instead is I go for a walk and I listen to music. I'm, a, I'm an avid listener of podcasts. I love podcasts from people like Ed Milet, a little bit of Tony Robbins. I do Tim Ferriss. I do Dean Graziosi. Like you, I'm a bit of a reader. So I've got books that I love to read. And even though I don't have a lot of time, especially now with us having offices in the UK and in America, I'm working across multiple time zones. But what I do do, Paul, is I will schedule 10 minutes in the morning to read however many pages I can. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's one page or five pages or 10 pages. It makes a difference. Because one, I'm keeping my word to myself and it builds confidence. It builds integrity, which I then bring into my work. And two, I'm signaling to myself that this is part of my self-care. You know, I did an exercise with, uh, with somebody that I was coaching recently where he said, Mori, I'm so overwhelmed and I don't have time and my figures are suffering. And I said, stop, let's do this one exercise. I want you to take a blank sheet of paper, draw a line down the middle. On the left-hand side, write down all of the things that I would call high payoff activities. So the things that only you can do, nobody else can do, only you. There shouldn't be a lot on there. And then on the right-hand side, write down all of the low payoff activities, which are things that you're doing now, which if you had the money, if you could train somebody else, if you could delegate, somebody else could do. And we had a go at this and we found that there was 26 hours in a month that he could save. And he was like, well, what do I do with this time? I said, the first thing you're going to do is not just work another 26 hours. I want you to take the first eight or so of those hours, and we're going to work out a schedule of, of self-care for you. You need to look after yourself. You're burning out. And then we're going to take the other 18 hours, and we're going to reinvest it into your high payoff activities. We did that one exercise, Paul, and this guy was the top salesman in his company for seven quarters in a row. Smashed every record in the business, just because of intentionality of what he focused on. That is fantastic. And the thing that I'm, I'm tying through the whole thing, I'm tying through this whole discussion around how we define sales, right? And then how, how we take care of the engine is they're one and the same. They're not, they're not different, meaning we're building integrity and trust. And you need to build integrity and trust in yourself and your habits and your ability to For execute. Sure. You need to have what, what I heard you say, right? Mm -hmm. Is that that 10 minutes a morning or that walk that you schedule or that that intentionality, that is just as important with building trust with, with a client as it is in building trust with yourself because you have to start with you and then you're going to build it with, with the client. Yeah. And that's, that is just brilliant advice for anybody getting into sales because you are, sales is an interesting, I've always said it's the, the, uh, the, the only profession, well, I guess there's a lot of professions that are like this, but it is like the, Example profession where you are always judged on what have you done for me lately. You're always judged on the deal that is closed last, but that deal that was closed last depends on the habits and the actions, a lot, especially in B2C or B2B complex sales that you took two years ago or 18 oh, yeah. months ago, right? Yeah. And so it's the consistency of those quality actions, building trust with your partners and building trust with yourself. I, it's brilliant, man. I was just trying to, I'm just saying what you said. But uh, I'm trying to say it a little different way. So, 
No, absolutely. Um, and and you, you know, you happened on something very important there that I just I just want to reiterate it because I think this is something that most salespeople miss. And that is looking after yourself is not something that you do in addition to your job. It is the job. Because here's the secret. People buy from people they like. You can't be likable if you don't like yourself. And how do I know people buy from people they like? Because they don't buy from people they don't like. If there's two car dealerships, think about it. If there's two car dealerships on opposite end of a road, you're in the market for a new car, and you show up on a Saturday and go, right, I'm buying this car, and I'm super clear on what I want. And these two dealerships have the exact car that you're looking for. Same color, same interior, same spec, same price. Both dealerships, great reputation, aftercare. In fact, it's impossible for you to differentiate between these two product offerings. Which dealership do you buy from? The one with the better salesperson. The one with the salesperson that you like. The one that the salesperson that made you feel better about yourself, that made you excited, that made you feel something. People buy from people they like, and you cannot be likable if you don't like yourself. How do you like yourself? Keep your word to yourself. Look after yourself. Invest in yourself. Then you get this light, this energy, this magnetism that people want to buy from. I had a, a sales guy in one of my organizations years ago, Larry. Oh, my goodness. Larry was the bottom performer in the team. He was struggling. And I was like, Larry, buddy, you know, this has been going on for a minute now. Like, we need to change this trajectory of what's going on here. Talk to me about what's happening. And Larry's response was, well, Mona, it's so hard. Like, you know, there's so many reasons why people don't want to buy from me. And you know what? I'm, I haven't made any commission in a few months. And, you know, my wife's on my case about it because, you know, we, we want to move a house and I can't afford it. And the kids are screaming because they want new cleats and new shoes. And, and I was like, wow, dude, if this is the energy that you bring into your calls, then I'm not surprised that you're not closing deals. I'm sorry to tell you. And I sat with Larry and we just did a little bit of you know, a little bit of mental exercise. And I was like, okay, I want you to do a visioning exercise. So I had him close his eyes. We talked about, right, I want to imagine yourself in 12 months. You've got that new house. Your wife is like, oh, Larry, you're amazing. Your kids are like, daddy, daddy, you're a hero. And we did this thing and he was super embarrassed. And I said, just go with it. Forget about all these other people. Go with it. And we sat with Larry and he did his visioning and you could see his posture changing. And he just like, and all of a sudden, Larry's face was different. And I was like, whoa. And Larry closed two deals that day. That day. Unfortunately, because I couldn't sit next to Larry every day, it was ebbing and flowing with Larry and he was never the best sales guy. But it goes to show you that all of this stuff, and we haven't even gotten into the mechanics of sales that you and I can probably talk for days about this, but it starts with the six inches between your ears. That's where success starts. We can teach you how to do all the other stuff. You can use an amazing tool like Membrane. I mean, I use it in my business, right? It's literally follow the bouncing ball. But if you don't get the six inches between your ears, it doesn't matter how good your tools are. You ain't going to be the best salesperson. So that ties directly to coaching, right? And one of the things that I love about your, I love it about your message and your, your sales team is you, you talk about coaching and training at a professional level. 
right? Uh-huh. So not just at a, it gets thrown to the side a lot when, if we're, if we're honest as sales professionals, we, there is so many times and so many places that, that you've worked that you don't get, you don't get good coaching. You don't, yeah. you don't, uh, or it's not even delivered, right? Um, you don't train effectively and you're not going after it every single day. Give me a little bit of your, your philosophy on, on training and coaching for, for great sales teams. First of all, it's, it's consistency over intensity. And the way that I describe that is it's the difference between brushing your teeth for 24 hours nonstop for one day or two minutes in the morning and two minutes in the evening for one year. It's almost the exact same amount of time that you've committed. One of those two approaches will give you rotten teeth. So this idea that you can hire a sales trainer to stand in front of your team once a year, once every six months, even once a quarter, and wave their arms around and do a rah-rah, no. I'm sorry for the trainers out there. I'm not saying that you do a bad job. I'm sure that I would enjoy your training immensely. But unless there's something behind that, unless there's some kind of substance, some kind of a follow-up, it's just not going to work. It's like, I'm a big rugby guy. Love to watch rugby. When I watch the Six Nations, does that make me a better rugby player? Of course not. If I watch Formula One on the weekend, does that make me a better driver of a car? Of course not. It doesn't matter if I watch people that are experts doing it. Doesn't make me better at it. Mm-hmm. At some point, I got to put on my boots and take a rugby ball or get behind the wheel of a car and actually try it out. You know, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. We've got to have considered practice. So, what we do in coaching is yes, there's a masterclass element to it. Of course, we want to show you what great looks like. But guess what? Then you've got to do it yourself. But you've got to do it with the coach. If I want to be better at golf, I can go hit 100 golf balls on the range and I can maybe sort of see what happens. But if I can't see myself doing it, that's not the fastest path to improvement. How about I got a coach standing behind me or standing perpendicular to me and he goes, okay, hit five balls. Okay, now stop. Right. I need you to straighten your left arm. I need you to rotate through your hips. Now go again. Okay, now I want you to not pick up your head. So that's what coaching should be. You know, John Wooden, who's this... He's very famous over here in the US, maybe not so much in Europe. He was a legendary basketball coach back in like the late 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. He was the head coach for the UCLA Bruins, the university team. And they built an absolute empire. He won 12, no, 10 of 12 national championships and seven in a row. It's never been repeated in the history of basketball. And he would scout the best All-American players like high school students to come. They would be super excited. We're going to play four for John Wooden. And they would come and run around and shoot three-pointers and dunk and go crazy. And he would go, okay, everybody, come sit down. And he would say, right, job one, take off your shoes and socks. Coach, what do you mean? What do you mean, take off? Take off your shoes and socks. The first thing I'm going to teach you is how to put on your socks and lace up your shoes. Coach, we're all Americans. I want to stay championship. What do you mean? Show me how to tie my shoes. He goes, in this organization, you put your socks on and you lace up your your shoes the way that I tell you, because if you don't, 
you're going to get blisters at some point during a season. If you get a blister, you can't play. And if you can't play, we can't win. Take off your socks and shoes. So coaching is the recognition that human beings don't just need reps. They need considered practice. You know, Coach K, who was the, the coach of Duke University and the U.S. Uh, Olympic basketball team, says, we don't train until we get it right. We train until we can't get it wrong. It's about muscle memory. It's about repping the things that is best practice in your business. It's about getting your salespeople to the point where they actually have consistency and congruency in what they're saying. And if you're doing it right, they can have fun doing it. It doesn't have to be a chore. But you've got to actually do it. Like you said, sales is an action, right? It's a verb. You've got to do it. And that's really our philosophy behind coaching and training. Have some fun. Let me show you how to do it. But then let's wrap it together. And I'll give you some pointers. And then we go again. Until we can't get it wrong. That's fantastic. I, um, I, I love the way that you, you talk that through. Because it puts a lot of words and a lot of eloquence to the way that I, uh, I unknowingly started my sales career, right? I didn't know that this was something that was was outside of the box, but I had started a sales as a service company back in 2007. And we ended up hiring a, a bunch of young people. And I had a number of partners and 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 I was the the key guy on the ground. I was the, the person that was I get them hired. I would build Salesforce for all of our organizations. I would write the playbook. I'd write the script. I would train the the organization until we got to a certain point and level. And I found that the only thing that really made a massive difference in this, in the in the performance of people, was when we started doing ongoing, consistent training. We ended up starting a. I, I started. We started a whole university, and then actually practicing like crazy like that when i first started sales it was here the same same type as you it was like here, here's a handbook and uh here's a phone good luck have fun you know enjoy uh, i expect you to book seven demos a week and um yeah yeah <laughs> hope you make your quota and and hit club and i was like shit i hate that <laughs> that sucks so <laughs> we but you put a lot of words to like how how exactly like making it an engine and i'm not I'm not here to rep membrane. That's not the purpose of this, but it is one of the things I love about the ability to set process, set process and set repeatability and determine what excellence is mm-hmm. and then coach to that excellence and continue sure. that coaching to that excellence. Do you find when you go into an organization, do you do you find the top performers and model what they do and help coach to that? Are you using your method or how? How do you find that it's best to go about like just changing the culture of a sales team? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, we've we've built so many sales playbooks and helped so many companies that of course we have a blueprint of what great looks like from our perspective. We also partner up with a company that I know you guys are partnered up with as well, the Objective Management Good. Shout out to Andy Miller and Dave Curlin and Rocky. Um, and those guys have got so many data points from the 32 years that they've been around that we're fortunate that we have a ton of benchmark data that tells us what good looks like, right? So Andy Miller will famously say, how tall is tall, right? If you send out a survey to a thousand people and somebody in the survey is a fifth grader who's tall for their age, well, they might be this tall. 
If somebody else is an NBA basketball player, they're this tall. They both answer, yes, I'm tall, but this is not the same tall. So the first thing you need is you need data points. You need benchmarking to figure out what does good actually look like. And that's really important. And that has to be objective. And it's got to be based on a significant amount of data points so that you can say, for this country, this territory, this industry, this product set, this price point, this is how tall tall is, right? So whether we're talking about hunting, consultative selling, value selling, closing, whatever it is, what's the benchmark? But then when it comes to the specific company, and let's assume that this company actually has a number of salespeople because you and I both know that some of our clients have no salespeople. In fact, they come to us because they say, hey, I'm the owner, manager, founder. I'm the sales guy. Please help me build a sales team, right? That's the thing. But then let's assume that you have a business and you have a few salespeople already. Well, if there's people that are top performers consistently, what are they doing? You know, I have a story. I have a client in Western Pennsylvania, one of our biggest clients. It's actually a company that I share with my business partner, Jack Daly, here in the States. And so Jack was working with this company for a long time, and then he brought me in just recently. And this company take their 440 salespeople to Cancun, Mexico for their annual awards. Very nice. We go to this award ceremony, and I'm sitting next to the president, uh, John, and his dad is the founder of the company. He's the chairman, and his dad's up on stage, and they're doing the chairman's club. And uh, it's an amazing thing. You know, can you imagine 440 salespeople, big old screen. They're calling up the top performers. All the stats go up on the screen. Everybody's clapping. Everyone's having a good time. So I'm sitting next to John, and I said, John, um, tell me about this, uh, this chairman's club that you've got going. He said, oh, well, you know, we honor the top salespeople. You know, it's normally top 20. They really enjoy it. People look forward to it. Yeah, it's a great initiative. I said, oh, wow, okay, that's cool. How long have you been running the chairman's club? He said, oh, this is, our, this is our seventh year. Brilliant. So I'm watching the people go up and listening to the stats. And then I think to myself, I wonder if there's any salespeople that have been in the chairman's club more than once. So I lean over to John. And I said, John, as a matter of interest, is there anybody who's been in this chairman's club every single one of the seven years? Because actually, there's 11 salespeople that are in chairman's club every single year. And I thought to myself, well, they're all selling the same product at the same price in the same economy. What are these 11 people doing differently? So I said, I need access to those 11 people next week. I need them in a room and I need to know what they know. So long story short, we got the 11, we did a whole thing with them. We figured out the habits, the best practice, everything else. We put that in the playbook and we, and we coached that. And that business went from $380 million to $1.2 billion in six years. Because <laughs> those 11 people had the keys to the castle. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you put that in the playbook and coach everybody on that. So yeah, to your question, there has to be benchmarks that are objectives, but man, if you've got consistent good performers, extract that gold dust from them immediately and teach that to everyone else because they figured it out. Well, and here's an interesting thing about that and about that do, being able to do that is those 11 performers, they can do that consistently. What I've seen be a mistake that a lot of people make is they assume that those 11 performers are the greatest coaches to coach the other 44 when no. they're really good at performing, right? Yeah. They're not necessarily really good at coaching, but I've seen that mistake done again and again and again, where people are like, Oh man, you're good. You got to be able to teach that. 
I mean, I truly think it takes someone with a skill set to be able to come in and say, great, I see you. I see what you're doing. You're brilliant at it. All I need to do is learn from you so I can teach it because there are great teachers and there are great salespeople, but there very few are both. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I'll take it a step further and say, this is not a rule, but typically, if you're a great salesperson, it almost disqualifies you from being a great sales manager. When I got promoted to my first sales manager role, probably back in, I don't know, 2004, I was, and I say this with humility, not self-deprecation, I was horrible, horrible. I don't know how my salespeople didn't kill me because my view was just do what I do. Why are you being an idiot? Just do this. Just, just, just. I was so patronizing without meaning to be. I mean, I don't think that I'm a malicious person. I think I'm a nice guy. But to me, it was like my frame of reference was here's what I would do. And I had no concept of people that have different personality styles or communication preferences or different strengths and weaknesses, or how to take the issue, make it about the issue, not the person, break that down into bite-sized chunks, and then have them absorb it and practice it. I had no clue. And sadly, I didn't have anybody teaching me at the time. So that's the bit that I said at the beginning where I just made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. So no, you're absolutely right. Being a great salesperson, do not assume that they're teaching anyone because in fact, what they have is blinkers on, they are appropriately selfish to not get distracted so that they can win that next deal. Yeah, I love that term too, appropriately selfish. Like I hear most great salespeople have to be appropriately, they are appropriately selfish, right? And and sure. they they see people looking at them from the outside and they they just, they can't, you got to focus on what's in front of you. You, you have to. Morday, we could talk for hours and I hope we do. I actually want to schedule a, the next one right now. We'll Sounds pull up good. calendars later, but I just want to thank you so much for, for the time today. And well, I don't want to thank you for the time. You you gave that. I do want to thank you for the insight and the wisdom and, and just diving in. I think it's really, really helpful and it's going to help a lot of people. Uh, I know I've taken a ton of notes and I'm going to be using it in my own life. So um, how do people get in contact with you should sure. they they want to? So easiest way is just to send an email to takeaction at immersesales.com. So immerse is E-M-E-R-S-E, takeaction at immersesales.com. That goes to me and the rest of my team, which is important because I'm on the road a lot speaking on this topic because I love it. But somebody will pick it up and we'll get right back to you. We'll give you a link to schedule a call. Uh, You can go to the website. There is a, I believe there's an interactive calendar at the bottom where you can Pick a day, you can pick a 15-minute call. That'll come through to our group calendar. So those are probably the best ways to to do it. Or just look me up on LinkedIn, Mornay Smith on LinkedIn, M-O-R-N-E. It's actually, I think, in the little, the bottom of my screen, probably on Zoom. So look me up on LinkedIn and drop me a message on there. I do check my LinkedIn from time to time. But yeah, by all means, if anybody wants to have a conversation or just ask a question about something we talked about, feel free to get in touch. And do you publish frequently on LinkedIn or other platforms anywhere that people should be following you? I Now you're just embarrassing me, Paul. Oh, I'm I, sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> no, it's funny. My marketing team have been giving me a hard time about this because I really should. And I enjoy doing it, but it's something that I have, let's use the word neglected. We've been very fortunate as a company that the company started through probably, again, like many of your listeners, 
I knew some people, I had done some cool stuff. So people knew who I was and I started the company and we had a bunch of people coming to us saying, if you're available, please do for us what you did over there. And then through word of mouth and referrals, the business grew and the business grew. Then I started doing speaking engagements a couple of years ago, post COVID, and we started getting a ton of interest from that. So I have been, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I have been lazy about upping my social media game because we've just been so fortunate with the amount of interest in what we do. Really, I have to give a shout out and all the credit to my amazing team, both in the UK and here in the US. This group of rock stars just swing for the fences every day. And we create raving fan customers who refer us like crazy. So I have not needed to be on social media much. But my marketing guy has been tapping me on the shoulder for about six months going, hey, you need to get your act together. This is a thing. People want to see you. So watch this space. Uh, we are writing the marketing content plan as we speak. And people will be seeing a little bit more of me rambling and waving my arms around, if that's your thing, <laughs> on social media and everywhere else. Um, so yes, we will be a little bit more active on, on the old interweb during the course of 23. Awesome. Well, I uh, and also you're a partner of Membrane, and we are uh, love having you, love working with you, and it's absolutely just been a blast. So, can't wait till we get on this this uh, podcast next time, and uh, everybody hears from us then. But until then, everybody, thank you so much for joining the art and science of complex sales, and we will see you later. Thanks for having me, Paul. Good to see you.